0: I'm Kara Stern.
1: And I'm Mike Moffitt.
0: And recently, we heard the housing minister talk about how international students at universities contribute to the housing affordability crisis. Let's talk about that because I know it's something that you've been highlighting for a while now, Mike, and I really don't think people understand how kind of how it works. So to start us off, like, why does a university need international students?
1: So, so that's a great uh, question, and this is uh, mostly a, a made in Ontario phenomenon. That what we've seen over the last fifteen to twenty years, arguably forty years, depending on on who you ask, is that there's been reduced funding uh, to uh, colleges and, and universities across Ontario from the from the provincial government. And one of the ways that uh, institutions can make up for that money is to increase the enrollment of international students. International students, you know, they're paying 357 whatever times the uh the tuition. So it's it's a very lucrative uh source of money. And what happened was that schools absolutely used uh international student enrollments to make up for government funding shortfalls. But what we've seen is at least a handful of schools go way beyond that that you know you, you have this magic money tree and most of the schools kind of shook that money tree until they had enough money to cover their losses. But a number of them were like, Hey, we have a m- magic money tree. Why stop now? Let's just keep shaking this thing and have more and more dollars come out. So, so there was a real difference in responses between different institutions where some were like, okay, let's, let's just try and make ourselves whole and others were like, "Yay, free money! Let's get as much as we possibly can." We've seen uh, in the last decade a number of colleges across Ontario enter into public-private partnerships with uh, private colleges in the GTA. So you'll have a lot of uh, you'll have a lot of colleges who are say in northern Ontario or southwestern Ontario who would like to have more international students, but international students might not want to live there. So they do these partnership arrangements with schools in the GTA and have their international students attend these, uh, these campuses as well. So that's a lot of what we're seeing is these college, mostly colleges, though so some universities as well, use international students' uh, enrollment uh, as a way to make up for funding shortfalls.
0: So how do they decide how many people to bring in in a given year?
1: So it's entirely up to the school's um, judgment, though there are some rules uh, governing the private par- public partnerships, though those those rules don't seem to be particularly strongly enforced. Uh, but it's it's otherwise entirely up to the school. So you, you, there's one school in particular in Ontario, one college that went from having about 700 international students seven years ago to something like 11,000 in the most recent uh, data. So you have these schools that have, you know, 1500% increases in in just seven years. So it's a massive, massive increase. And it's not coupled with any, um, necessarily any building of on-campus student residences or things like that. So you know when you plop an extra 10,000 students in a, a community like Kitchener Waterloo, you know that is going to create some real tensions on the uh, on the rental market.
0: Are there any rules at all about like how many what percentage of the student population a, a university has to have housing for if they're going to accept that many?
1: None whatsoever. And we're seeing, particularly again at the college level, there are schools that are now eighty percent, eight zero percent international students. So, no, it's a it's a bit of a wild west that way. That there is no requirement for any schools to have uh, on campus housing, and traditionally, colleges in Ontario haven't really had much uh, on campus housing for a very good reason. That you know they they're called community colleges because they historically had. Educated people who already live in the community, so there was no need for additional uh, additional housing, so a lot of a lot of schools simply didn't have any really wasn't their responsibility. but now they've pivoted to uh, bringing in students who don't already live in the community that's creating these, that's creating these tensions.
0: The federal government has been ramping up immigration numbers with a goal of half a million newcomers annually starting by 2025. Are those international students included in those numbers?
1: So, so no, they're not. It's, or at least not directly. Um, they're, are two different streams, but it's important to note how the, um, how the immigration system and the international student, uh, student system, uh, integrate with each other. That, if we go back to Canada's history, um, there's always been a problem in this country with uh, integrating newcomers into the labor market. So you will have you know somebody who's twenty eight or twenty nine and trained as a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer somewhere uh, somewhere overseas they immigrate over to canada and then find that their credentials aren't aren't recognized and they end up uh, driving a taxi or or working at a pizza restaurant that kind of thing which isn't, you know, great for them and it's not great for canada so about 15 years ago the canadian government said well hey this doesn't really make much sense instead of having people come over at 28 or 29 why not have them come over at 18 or 19 they can get their degree or diploma in canada and then stay in canada work in canada and then immigrate so there's this kind of period of pre-immigration that that goes on and you know that was essentially the logic of what the government's trying to do and and part of why the demand uh, for international students to come to canada has risen so much that is it's basically been integrated into the immigration system but it's been, it's one of those things that, you know, it makes sense as a blackboard exercise, but the implementation has fallen down uh, a little bit. And, you know, to the pure data point, uh, no, they're not, uh, they're not counted as immigrants uh, or in the immigration numbers. So even though we have an immigration target of just under 500,000, we can have far, you know, far greater growth in international students and also groups like temporary foreign workers and others who aren't considered permanent residents of Canada.
0: Oh man, it seems almost like irresponsible of the university to be inviting so many people to study there if they know they don't have homes for them.
1: And there's, a, well, there's a lot of finger pointing that, that goes on. And I, I, and I think this is one of the reasons why uh, this is kind of ballooned out of control because everybody can can credibly say it's somebody else's fault, um that it's a Canada the, story it's a, it's a canadian story right because there's three different uh parts to this um and th- they can all kind of point fingers either way that you know the the schools themselves you know and they're the ones that we usually get their fingers pointed pointed at them um we'll say well well look we kind of have to do this because the uh the provincial government has cut our funding um so we need to make up that money somewhere and, you know, the provincial government wouldn't let us do this if, if it weren't a problem. Um, the province can then turn around and say, well, it's up to the schools to act responsibly, but also that, you know, the federal government plays a role through the immigration system. And it was the federal government who introduced uh, programs like the post-graduation work permit program and basically integrated higher education with the, the immigration system. So the province could say, well, look, actually, no, this is a federal issue because the, the feds have spent the last 15 years trying to sort of co-op higher ed- education into the immigration sector. And the federal government can turn around going, well, you know, we just we just control immigration, you know, higher education. That's a under the Constitution. That's a provincial responsibility. So it's up to the province to do the right thing. So everybody points fingers at each other and, and nothing ever changes.
0: I think a lot of people look at these at these numbers of international students and feel like what's the benefit to us to have them here? So there is a benefit in terms of getting people to study here and have qualifications where they could later get permanent residence and actually use those qualifications, is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If if this system worked correctly, it, it's it would make a ton of sense and it's better for the the students and and future immigrants and and better for Canada as well that if you have students come over, first of all, you know while they're here, they you know contribute to the the, the local economy in, in the uh, uh, the city or or, or town in, in which their college or university is located. So that makes sense, and it also just logically makes sense that if we have trouble integrating newcomers because of things like credentials or things like just not understanding how the Canadian business market works we we'll have them, you know, learn up the learn both those hard skills and soft skills in Canada, and they're going to have much better, at least in theory, much better labor market outcomes. So the whole thing makes sense again as uh, is sort of a theory and blackboard exercises. But the challenge is that we haven't built enough housing for them, and that that obviously affects the the student, the international students themselves. Uh, because they're having to come over and 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 finding that rents are way higher than they had anticipated, but it also affects other renters in those markets. But it also affects uh, first-time homebuyers because what's happening in a lot of these communities is investors are buying up single-family homes to turn them into student residences. So now, if you're a first-time homebuyer in a, a college town like a Kingston, a uh, Waterloo, a uh, London or Windsor it's really hard for you to to get a starter home because all of these starter homes are getting bought up by investors who typically have more money than first time home buyers.
0: I know that's also the story in Guelph. I wanted to read out a a tweet that the mayor put out where he said I heard about parents looking to rent a parking spot for their son who will now be living in a van. The dad equipped the van with a heater and solar panel, and the kid will use the school's showers and bathrooms because nothing is available or affordable for crying out loud. Have you ever heard anything like that before? Because when I read that, I thought, oh, my goodness, if that's where parents are at, like they're renting parking spots for their kids to live in cars. That is just wild.
1: Unfortunately, it's this is not an isolated uh, incident. We actually saw this uh, last summer. Uh, last summer seemed to be particularly challenging in, in a lot of communities, um, and you can actually see it in the data. So you have all these anecdotes of uh, you know people living in their cars and um, you know coming up with all all kinds of different arrangements, which you know, obviously is really problematic. But you also see it in the data like if you look at rent price data for, for london ontario in 2022 um, basically a a one-bedroom apartment it goes for about 1400 bucks you know 1450 or so on pretty consistently in the first part of uh, 2022 and then from about canada day to mid-september it shoots up and then stays there so you have rent prices going up 20 percent in one year in london for new leases but it wasn't distributed across the entire month. Basically, it was just this huge step after all the students, both domestic and international, arrived. So this is a huge, huge issue. And, and you know, it's causing people to not be able to go to college or university. I hear stories of, you know, people who, um, you know, got, got into a Guelph or got into even a Western um, and then found found out they couldn't afford to live to London, so they're still continuing to live with their parents in Mississauga and having to commute back and forth to class. So you know that's not good for them. That's not good for the environment. It's just a bad situation all around.
0: I know that universities own land, so what's just stopping them from building more residences?
1: Well, there, there, there's a couple of things, and, and universities are uh, to to put this in uh, some context. Uh, that, you know, you know, we've seen uh, Western, for example, announce a, a thousand new residences and and things like that. So the universities are uh, and some colleges are I- as well. I think I think there's a couple challenges that first they tend to be uh, some of the schools tend to be just cash constrained. Right. That they don't have the upfront capital to do this. They can't they can't use tuition dollars to use this. They, you know, they can't use operating funds. They need capital funds. And some of them simply don't have it, particularly the, the smaller colleges. But there's a second interesting thing going on here when you talk to people at the colleges and, and universities and, um you know, in, in, in executive offices. And many of them believe that this is actually a bubble that at some point government is, is going to shut this off. And it could be the, the Canadian government or it could be the government in India as m- the majority of college students, in uh, international students at Ontario colleges actually come from a single country. They come from India. So if either the Canadian government or the Indian government ever decided that this was problematic and, and shut off the TAPs, then this starts looking like a bubble that 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 bursts so they don't want to make 30 year or 50 year investments in new residence spaces if two years from now their enrollments are going down because uh because we you know the the international student bubble burst so they're hesitant to make big uh capital expenditures when they don't really have a great sense what the future looks like.
0: I remember you once said on Twitter about how the same thing stopping any developer from building homes is, the same, is what's stopping universities from building more residences. Do you, do you find that neighbours are generally opposed to having students in their neighbourhoods?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think there are there is local uh, opposition sometimes to, uh, you know, building student residences and and things like that. But the the irony is, if you don't, then what happens is all those single family homes around people, you know, get turned into de facto student residences by uh, by investors. So, you know, the students are going to live somewhere um, and, you know, they're often willing to live in, you know, Groups of of ten or more, um, which makes it very attractive for investors, particularly investors who might be willing to look the other way. As you know, you you have overcrowding and things going against local local bylaws. So it's it is a big, big challenge in in neighborhoods. So you have those challenges and as well, you know, all of the things that might be stopping developers today, like like higher interest rates and things like that are also applying to the uh, uh, colleges and universities who are considering uh, building residences.
0: I want to talk about solutions and I always like to start with the lowest hanging fruit. So what's something that could be implemented quickly to improve the system?
1: Well, I think the biggest uh, thing would be to have the provincial government uh, scale this back, and the provincial government could do that fairly easily by, you know, telling uh, telling schools that they have to keep enrollments flat or decline even in future years. So that that would be the easiest thing to have happen. The next easiest thing to have happen would be the the schools themselves actually reducing enrollment. The federal government can at least in theory, kind of do that as well through the international student visas. They're a little bit challenged there because they they would have to design this in a way that's constitutional, again, because they don't control the higher ed system. But I, I do think if they you know put stricter controls on on student visa um, and and basically got those rejection rates up even higher, um, you know that would probably not only uh, reduce the number of international students, but make sure that the ones who are coming over can actually, you know, afford to to live here. So that's the immediate uh, thing. You know, most of the immediate solutions are on the demand side. On the supply side, ideally, we just build more on-campus student housing, and there are, there are models to do this. That during the uh, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine financial crisis, and after that, we had. The the Harper government had their economic action plan. Um, We we probably remember all those blue signs with all the arrows. Um, One of the components of that plan was to build more buildings on campuses. Now, these were mostly like labs and classrooms and things like that. But there's no reason why the federal government couldn't do something like that again, uh, but for student residences. And basically how the model would work is the federal government would make a pot of cash available available. And say, okay, if if, uh, schools want to access this cash to build student residences, first of all, we would need matching money from the province, and then the school themselves would kick in a little bit of money. You you throw it all in a pot, and you could get a lot of on-campus housing built, which would, not, again, not only help the students... Put ease the pressure on the rental markets in in these communities.
0: I know that you've been talking about this for such a long time, so I keep seeing when I hear the housing minister say that I keep thinking, "What's it like to be Mike Moffat right now, knowing that this is an issue that you've been trying to raise attention to, and finally people in power are listening?" What's that feel like? It's
1: it's been a little surreal, and to be honest, I was a little uh, snarky uh, with them with the media a few weeks ago. That I was in uh, I was in PEI uh, during the. Uh, the federal um, cabinet retreat, and and they were asking me question, questions like that one. I was joking with them. I said, you know, I've been talking about this stuff since like twenty nineteen, and back then, like none of you cared. And <laughs> now they have my phone ringing off the hook. So to be honest, it's a bit surreal um, that you know I, it used to be uh, you know few of us, like myself, and now Alex Usher and a handful of others you know, would talk about this stuff on, on Twitter, I would have the occasional medium post and, you know, I'd go back and look at the medium numbers and if a hundred people read it, like that, that was a, 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 you know, a post that did well. And now absolutely it's, you know, the phone's ringing off the hook and, you know, it does feel a little bit like, you know, the issue of the day. And you do wonder like a month or two from now, are we going to be looking at, you know, some other components, of, of the housing market to sort of identify as, as a challenge. And I think that's important, like, like the international student side is a real challenge, particularly in Ontario and particularly in kind of like mid-sized college cities. Again, your Kitchener, Waterloos, your Londons and so on. Uh, But there's a lot of other stuff going on in the housing market and, and particularly outside of Ontario. So it is just one issue, but it's an important one. And it's surreal to basically see it going from this thing that nobody talked about to it seems to be every second story in the media over the last couple of weeks.
0: I'm excited to hear from other people about what like other parts of this because there's this is such a difficult story to solve like there's a few solutions you laid out but I want to hear from more people so I know we're going to come back to this in more depth and from more perspectives but this is a really great place to, to to kind of start us off and help people understand like how did this issue begin begin and get us to start thinking of solutions so thanks for explaining it to us.
1: Well, well, thank you for your interest. Um, you know, this is a, a very important issue for local communities and the students themselves. And you know, I, I think that we got to end on this point that we have to understand in this discussion that that international students aren't the cause of this; they're the victims of it. That the, the cause of this is essentially poor planning, uh, you know, between two two levels of government and and higher education. So. Uh, for our community's sake and particularly for our students' sake, both domestic and international, like we, we got to get this thing fixed.
0: Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. We're happy to hear suggestions and questions, so please get in touch. This episode was produced by Meredith Martin and hosted by Mike Moffitt and myself, Kara Stern. Until next time.